Welcome to the 15th episode of the Hail Mary podcast. I'm Atoves, and I'm joined by my husband, the Toves. We're back to give our hot takes on the latest UTSA football win against Middle Tennessee and throw some Hail Mary shots downfield for our listeners to love or hate. It may not have played out the way that we wanted it to, but the Roadrunners came away with a conference win, beating Middle Tennessee 27-13. The Roadrunners are now 3-0 on the season, 1-0 in Conference USA for the second straight year. This marks the first time in program history that UTSA has opened 3-0 in consecutive years. The Roadrunners' defense was the story of the game, holding Middle Tennessee scoreless until the last few minutes of the fourth quarter. The defense finally got the interception they were looking for this season from Corey Mayfield Jr., and Lorenzo Dantzler added a fumble return for a touchdown. The runners held Middle Tennessee to just under 200 yards of total offense and only 8 yards rushing. On the offensive side of the ball, the play wasn't up to UTSA standards, but they got the job done. Adding 20 points from a 33-yard touchdown pass to Zachary Franklin, a 12-yard touchdown pass to Josh Cephas, and a pair of field goals from Hunter Duplessis. There were also three turnovers, including two interceptions thrown by Harris and a fumble by J.T. Clark. The Roadrunners ended the night with 452 yards offense, 277 yards passing, and 175 yards rushing. Overall, not the performance the Runners were hoping for, but certainly a more dominant performance than last year's close win. So overall, what were your thoughts of the game? Well, I mean, you kind of already mentioned it. A little sputtering in the game. Um, some of it was due to mistakes, you know, kind of penalties. But the other was due to, due to some of this poor officiating. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people have talked about it. Um, and, and there was certainly enough critics out there in the stands uh, booing, letting the refs know that this, <laughs> this was a poor job. Um, defensive pass interference was, I don't know. Very but, subjective. Yes. Um, I mean, it's a subjective call as it is. But come on, like there, there were some obvious ones out there that were left on the field. But um, I, I would say it... it also stacks up as just another game where UTSA was in control, um, but they just didn't play smart, and it, it just the score was closer than it needed to be. Um, I, you know, I, I think you know we'll talk a little bit about the defensive performance near the end with some of these subs, um, but I'm going to give you some stats now. We've gone through a quarter of the season, which is crazy already. Three games, so quarter of the season in. Here's what we have: this team is on pace for the following regular season stats. 48 penalties, which is the fewest ever in program history. Um, 5,500 total offensive yards, which is about 458 per game, most ever. 2,932 total defensive yards, which is about 244.3 per game, least allowed ever. And they're averaging 39 per game, giving up 14, also best evers. Now, we've talked a little bit about 2017, and we've we've said, you know, there are some similarities. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of similarities here, you know, because we had that FCS team in there. It's helped the stats and kind of bloat them. So I still think that looking forward a little bit, this team certainly, um, if it plays a little bit better, these stats aren't going to hold up. I think offensively they might, they might, but defensively I think we'll give up some more yards, probably give up some, you know, a few more points. But this defense, I think, you know, I'll gush about them a little bit later. But um, it's... I think when the team kind of comes together and plays complete games, which is always difficult at the collegiate level, especially G5, um, I think this team is, is really good. And is, there's a reason why we thought, even when we first saw the spring schedule, why we believed that they had a chance to win every single game because it's this is they're that talented. Um, and I think the coaching has also helped. So um, any other overall thoughts from you? Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly – 
there are things that were disappointing about this game. Um, and, you know, you can tell that we have improved as a program and that we can, you know, sort of nitpick on some of these things because a couple of years ago we would have been thrilled with this win. But the good thing is we definitely felt like we were, like you mentioned, we were in control the whole time. You felt at some point in the fourth quarter that we weren't going to pull out that shutout, but you never felt like Middle Tennessee was really going to be able to come back and win. So, you know, overall, um, it just felt like not our best effort, but certainly, you know, in comparison to where we've been in the last couple of years, you know, it, it shows you the progress of the program. Yeah, I'd agree. So I think let's just jump into the offense right now. For me... I felt that Lunny's play calling in this game left a lot to be desired. Mm-hmm. Some of it may have been because of the mistakes. Some of it may have been because of penalties. But, you know, I gave him a bunch of praise against um, Illinois because he started doing these quick passes to Franklin and Cephas, little slant passes, and let them just run all over the Illinois secondary. It's, I mean, I, I can see why you don't bring it out against Lamar, but it just felt like he's not putting... Frank into the best position. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank's still being effective, but asking him, especially from his arm strength, asking him to go from essentially throw to the far sideline, so you, and then having him throw across field, that's not his strength. It it kind of floats the ball a little bit because mm-hmm. he just doesn't have the power to do it. Plus, he's usually getting rushed, so he's he's throwing off one foot. He's mm-hmm. not getting a full throw in there. I mean, even with Josh, I would say even with Lowell. They've got stronger arms, but I still feel like they would struggle with those. So I just, I get trying to get uh, passes to the receivers um, quickly, but this just seems like it's it's not a good combo. And I, I wonder if he's just doing that for right now and then maybe changing it up later. I would hope so. Um, the other thing is in the red zone, he's been throwing a lot of fades and a lot of streaks where <sighs> Frank's just not getting, getting good passes in there. I mean, they're... He's not putting enough air at times, and sometimes he's just throwing it well out of bounds. So I, I think there can be better play calling in there mm-hmm. um, to at least get sincere, uh, you know, a couple opportunities. Um, if you're really just going to be throwing jump balls like that, I, I still don't even think that that's Frank's strength. Um, I think Josh struggles at it too. So if that's not really a strength, then why do we keep doing it? Okay. It just feels like it's over and over. Let's just keep putting that uh, square peg in the round hole. So I don't understand that. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, you know, I would say, uh, looking at the other parts in this game, you've got the penalties, which you kind of talked about. Yeah. Um, those non-pass interference calls felt like they just left yardage there because instead of getting a first down, we're going to second down and 10 or, you know, whatever the down and distance were. Um, but then we also had those self-inflicted penalties, like the Brady touchdown when you, you had, um, I believe it was Demetrius. No, it wasn't Demetrius. It was... I thought it was Rolf. Rolf, thank you. It was Brandon Rolf who had just gotten that um, face mask penalty. It really wasn't needed. And if you really kind of watch the play, he kind of got pushed back and it looked like he was grasping in the air and he just happened to grab that, that yeah. face mask. But still, unnecessary. Like, you know, why are you even grasping in the air? If you're falling backwards, you're falling backwards. Just try to get in the way and let Frank get that pass off. But... You know, there were other small mistakes here and there. Like, Zakari had a holding penalty earlier, I think, when Cephas got a, caught a pass. Mm-hmm. And um, it just it just felt weird, especially coming off a couple of games where you didn't didn't see those issues. Right. Uh, it just felt like that concentration was off. And 
Um, I don't know if it was because they've had a lot of home cooking or whatever it is, but there's just seems, yeah, we could say it was eating the cheese, but it just felt like they had a lot of just uh, self-inflicted mistakes and that really hurt the offensive flow. Any thoughts from you with that? I mean, honestly, this game should have been a much larger, um, margin of victory for UTSA because without those penalties, we would have had a couple of additional scores. You know, it just seemed like, you know, for some reason the offense was, that starting offense was kind of off in the game um, against Lamar, and then they were off on this game. And, you know, the concern for me is that as we look ahead to playing Memphis, who is, you know, probably one of the best teams that we're going to play this season, we can't have that offense show up. We need the offense that played against Illinois to show up in Memphis um, so that we can win that game because we can't just continue to rely on our defense and the strength of our defense. At some point, they're going to get tired. You know, they allowed, you know, a couple of um, big plays right at the end of the game. Even against Illinois, they allowed some some plays in the second quarter after we had, right. you know, after the team had gotten up 14-0, they allowed some plays. So it's like the defense isn't infallible, so... We right. need to, the offense needs to um, well, especially the longer that they're on the field, right? You know, those things are going to happen. So, you know, we've got to you know really tighten up our offensive play so that you know we can eliminate these mistakes and put the opponent away. Because I think we really could have killed the spirit of Middle Tennessee if some of those mistakes hadn't happened in the first half and we had gotten up to an even bigger lead. I agree. Um, I, I I think um, you know. What what's really frustrating is you think that they would start getting some Christmas here, especially with the way they started. You know, kind of like I've already talked about before, but you kind of hope that they would be able to um, have really started getting a better rhythm and at least get Frank in a better rhythm to where uh, getting into a better flow in the game as opposed to starting out so slowly. And it just well, it worries you a little bit because it becomes it does start feeling like 2017 again. Like yeah. you're relying on that defense and the offense is really good between the 20s, but once you get to the red zone we get brain cramps. Yeah, and and I wonder, too, if one of the reasons why we haven't had um, a better um, rushing game this season is, you know, because we're still, based on injury, having to kind of shuffle the offensive line a little bit, you know, and is that part of the reason why, you know, we just can't quite seem to get our, um, our rushing game going? I mean, it's sort of interesting if you go back and you listen to what Trailer said at the beginning of the season, you know, in terms of the percentage of rushing versus passing, we're not anywhere close to what he wanted. But fortunately, we've been successful in our passing game because if we weren't, you know, then we wouldn't have the success that we've had this season. You know, it's kind of interesting to go back and, and look at now we have a healthy Brendan Brady and Sincere, and yet we are getting yards touching. I mean, this game Sincere got to 100 yards, but we really haven't had those breakout um, rushing yards that we've expected to see this season. Yeah, it just I, I don't know what it is, but I think blocking-wise, um, it feels like some of these blocking grades have been a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's got something to do with it. Now, in terms of you talked about sort of the line, it, it is a little bit weird because this is a veteran line. It's not like we the super seniors this year weren't there and then we had to rely on some of the freshmen or some of the you know some of the younger players on the team and and, you know essentially would have had a little bit much more inconsistency so it's a little baffling but you know again you're hoping that maybe they figure it out um I guess it's just going to be something to watch yeah and again it it feels like nitpicking because it's not like they've been bad 
you know, by any means, but they just haven't been as good as we expected. Right, and I think one last thing would be maybe it's the tempo because there have been times where um, the tempo has been quite quick um, and they've, you know, placed the ball down and then that snap comes quickly. So I think that that might play a role in it too. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it... Again, it seemed fine against like, um, Lamar and Illinois, so it's bizarre that it's the third game where this kind of starts coming up. But right. maybe it is some fatigue starting to set in, which could be a concern. Um, so let's go into the individual performances. One thing I really wanted to bring up about Frank, I thought he played a good game. You know, certainly, again, missed, you know, left some plays out there, but it was good to see him actually running. The first two games, there really wasn't many Frank runs, whether designed or in that read uh, play. So, you know, I thought it was interesting that we unveiled it finally against Middle Tennessee. Now, it didn't really lead to a bunch of big plays, but again, you know, kind of like we were talking about, between the 20s, those kind of popped a little bit more, but it just didn't seem like they were, it, it led to much. We still kind of bogged down once we got mm-hmm. closer to the red zone. So the only other thing I wanted to mention and want to kind of get your thoughts on was the fact that you know, some of these subpar offensive performances, you know, to me, for some and the fan base would kind of think of it as a reflection of Frank, like the inconsistency. We already know that he has, you know, we've talked about some of his deficiencies. So, you know, I kind of get the feeling at times that, you know, fans may start seeing the offensive struggles and say, oh, it's Frank. Like, bring in Josh, you know, bring in Lowell, bring in somebody. Let's spark this team and let's, let's put up 50 on somebody. But I don't think it's that easy. So what did you think? Yeah, I mean, certainly you have to bring up the fact that he threw two interceptions, um, which obviously, you know, one of them was completely on him because, you know, he was just staring down um, the receiver. And then the other one, you know, he just didn't place the ball in the right spot for Tyke. But overall, I mean, I think Frank has, again, improved in his, um, he's getting the ball out faster. He's, you know, making better decisions. Um, you know, Trailer said that he's had um, plays where he, you know, it's an RPO, so he could run, um, but he's, you know, made the decision to either hand it off or to, to throw um, instead. So, you know, it doesn't sound like they're trying to limit Frank's running. It just seems like Frank's been making the decision not to run. Uh, but I mean, overall, I think his, his performance is improved, but we did see a dip in his confidence this game that was kind of shades of last year, Frank, versus what we've seen from him so far this year. No, I think that's a good point. I I think um, he certainly handles this team well in terms of the offensive reins. You know what you're going to get from him. I I just hope to see a little bit bit more variety in the passing plays, or at Mm -hmm. least the passing options, um, so that he can spread it around on the field as opposed to really just focusing on sideline passes, because it just feels like so many times it's just, well, if a if he throws it out of bounds, it'll be incomplete. Um, or we can get a big catch out of it. But no matter what, we're not going to put it in the middle of the field where there's several defenders. Uh, and, and I think that can be to his detriment at times. I think that's limiting limiting his field of vision where he should be able to see the whole field at this point in his career and really be spreading that ball out. And I think that might be where he's more effective. Mm-hmm. So with that, I will say Zakari dominant again. Um, he had a PFF grade of 79.7, which is the third highest on the team. That <laughs> that uh, first touchdown, I'm laughing already because um, 
I saw the double move that he put on the cornerback, pretty much put him on skates. And as soon as he made that move back upfield, it was pretty much a, you know, sort of an out and up. As soon as he got that, you you laughed at me because I got up and said touchdown. Yeah, he was like at least five yards outside of the, you know, the end zone at that point. You were standing up yelling touchdown and everyone else was like, what, what was happening? And the happening? ball hadn't even, no. And <laughs> I think I, I thought I had gotten up at the point that, that Frank, Frank was, the was releasing yeah. the ball. Because I think Frank was like realizing, oh my God, that was a t- terrible, terrible play by the cornerback. Um, I thought it just made the, the throw easier for Frank. However, Frank did do this kind of, do the, like a pump fake on that play. But you know what? It wasn't needed because Zakari, Zakari just made that cornerback bite so hard, which was bizarre. I, I had no, I don't understand why he did that because he didn't have any safety help. He didn't. It was just a weird play by Middle Tennessee, and as vaunted as they kept, ta- everybody kept talking about this, ten- you know, Middle Tennessee defense. That's not a play that I would have imagined to happen. And it's a shame you couldn't quite see it on TV because you couldn't really tell how he got so open when you were, were when we were rewatching it on television. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a great move. So um, yeah, I was gushing. Obviously, like I said, I got up and um, you know, very premature, but it still <laughs> I had to do it. Um, JT Clark had a pretty good performance. Uh, PFF grade was about 59.7. That fumble was costly. I, you know, I think, you know, he was trying to stay up and try to get those extra yards. We talked about it, especially in the mm-hmm. stands. But it just felt like he didn't need to fight so hard for it. Um, you know, make right. the catch, live to f- fight another day. And, and that's all that Frank really does himself. So, you know, I, I would have hoped that Frank would go over to him and say, look, you know, just make the catch. And don't, you know, you start getting spun around, just put both hands around that ball and just let's just go down and we'll keep moving. But, right. um, you know, I think he just got really loose with the ball. He started getting spun around. And at that point, you're getting defenders forming in and, and you're in trouble. I will say for for the offensive line, KD and Makai, which is interesting, our right side of the line was good. We had our troubles on the left side of the line, which mm-hmm. is really where Frank actually, his line of vision is at. Because mm-hmm. that's where he opens up to when he starts passing. So... I think I'd rather prefer that than for him to be pressured from the back side, from the right side, and really have some issues. Now, we didn't have Spencer Burford, but, um, you know, again, I still think that this it's a veteran offensive line, so there's got to be some other things that are going on here. They had to have known well enough in time that yeah. Burford wasn't playing. Now, I could be wrong there, but I, I think they, they had some time to um, uh, make some adjustments. Uh, any other thoughts on the offense? No, I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, again, you know, good performance, um, you know, not as good as we wanted, but a good performance overall. Yeah. So we talk about the defense. Um, look, it looked, it still looked incredibly fast to me on this turf. Um, and, you know, I don't know how many other games they're going to have on turf versus grass. I mean, obviously we know how many they'll have on turf, I should say, because we know how many more home games they'll have. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking about outdoor stadiums with turf versus grass, you know, this team looks fast, and you know I, I was I've been comparing it to that 2017 team because that 2017 team defense is the best statistical defense ever in school history, um, and, and right now this defense is is really hanging with them. So, uh, you know, I, I think the difference with these two teams though is that this defense just has more impact players at each position as opposed as opposed to that 2017 team, mm-hmm. which really had a thin uh, it was quite thin in depth so 
you know, some people, you got some injuries, like you had Josiah missing a lot of time during that season. Um, it, it really hurt the linebacking depth, and it really started hurting the team as the season wore on until he came back. And even then, it just was difficult. So they, they couldn't afford some of these injuries. This team, I think, can. And in saying that, first play of the game, Tariq Woolen lays the wood. I mean, it's the big play, or big hit, sorry, mm-hmm. on the Middle Tennessee running back. Yep. Uh, and it almost kind of, to me, felt like it. you're not going to, you're going to have to earn every single yard you get against us. Um, now, I will say, real quick, Tariq Woolen did get a laughable pass interference call. I, I still don't understand what he did wrong there. They said it on the broadcast on our rewatch today, but that had nothing to do with it. Rashad, when the receiver went up and Tariq is essentially running into him, Rashad's already got the ball in his hands. Right. So it's the receiver had no way of making the play. Um, you know, he was never going to be in position. I, I still don't understand how it was passing appearance. Um, you know, they talk about face guarding. It, it doesn't matter. There's nothing to do with it. He didn't have to turn his head around. He didn't have to do anything. So laughable. But um, this defense, which is dominant from, from beginning to end, we just kept looking at each other at times just going, wow, we're in the backfield again. Like It, it felt like the Lamar game at times to me. This this defensive line would just be in the backfield, and I was like, this is an FBS opponent. It's right. not FCS. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know there had been some – critique of Middle Tennessee's offensive line, but they just looked awful against our defense. I mean, every time you turned around, they were getting, you know, pressure on the quarterback. They were sacking the quarterback. There was tackle for loss. I mean, we were just really beating up on Middle Tennessee in a way that I was completely surprised to see. I just didn't think that we were going to have that much pressure on them. Yeah, and, and I think what also goes to this is not only were we fast, but I felt like we're more confident in our ta- tackling aspect. So I don't know if they really have worked with, on that, but I don't know how to put it. But um, it, it does give you, I think, a good feeling uh, because there are going to be other teams that are going to try to spread this defense out. That said, this team had only given up, up until the, really the subs came in in the fourth quarter, um, this team had only given up 88 total yards. Right. 88 total yards. So when you've been talking about, hey, you know, we were living in the backfield, I, this just... You think about Woolen's hit, and you think about just it. At times, really felt like there was twelve, maybe thirteen defenders out there, and there only was eleven. It was eleven on eleven, but man, it felt like there was a roadrunner around the ball. Yeah, pretty I mean, much every play. You know, there's a couple of things that this defense. You know, they played well through the first two games, but they hadn't really gotten any sacks. They hadn't gotten the interception. I mean, you can argue we got two interceptions because you know Wisdom's interception right. really should have stood, and then you know Corey Mayfield turned around and got another interception. Um, you know, and then we added another um, fumble return for a touchdown. So, I mean, it really was just an absolutely dominant game, um, you know, through almost the entire game. I mean, yeah, right at the very end, last couple of minutes, you know, we let them get away with two big plays. But, you know, other than that, I mean, there's, you know, it was pretty textbook in a lot yeah, of ways. The subs lost focus, but that first touchdown uh, was wide open. It felt similar to the Illinois um, mm-hmm. plays where they were like wide open, except this time the tight end didn't go in motion. Instead, at the snap, he got up, looked like he was going to block, and then he just dragged across the field, and he was 
wide open. Nobody right. even went to him. I think that actually got credited to your boy, Kelechi, uh, for not guarding. Um, and he also gave up another big play. And so, you know, there's some of these, there are some of these times where I'm looking at it and you see some of these big mistakes from, the, from our coverage team, secondary mostly. So you wonder, is that a flaw of this defense? And is that going to be what's going to be exploited more often um, the rest of the season? Um, I, I think it might because... This is the second game out of three that we've seen somebody so wide open and coverage just breaks down. So um, whether it's a defense that's called, or something's happening. But I think teams are starting to learn about this. Now, that said, it's a slow developing play. So there's a reason why teams aren't going to be trying to fully exploit it because you've got to hope that our uh, pass rushers aren't going to get to the quarterback. So right. with that, let's talk about the individual performances. Like we talked about, defensive line was overall overall dominant. Um, Brandon Matterson and Christian Clayton led the lineman grades. Uh, Matterson, 76.5. Clayton, 75.2. I don't know. I just kept seeing their numbers, 99.95, repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's just where we were sitting and we just happened to see them flying all over the place. But um, it just felt like they were, uh, they were coming quite a bit of space. Now, in the linebacking crew, I got to say, Feaster... Man, he seems to have one big crunching hit every single game. Yeah. You'll hear this loud crunch of a hit, and you look up, and the guy getting up is Feaster. It's like, he, he, I don't know. Um, it's impressive, though, um, especially coming from Kansas, where he probably didn't get to land those kind of hits. Now he's at CUSA, and he's he's making some uh, some thunderous hits. I do have another note here. Hello, Avery Morris. Uh, impressive. Uh, one of Another one of our youngsters um, he certainly was flying around the ball, um, had a tackle for loss there um, in the fourth quarter. Again, f- just flying around. The linebackers sometimes, had, I don't know, they just seem as fast as the secondary, uh, which is scary. And then, you know, Harmonson and Lincoln, just stout up the middle. Um, Harmonson blowing up an early fourth, uh, fourth down play from Middle Tennessee. I, I don't know. Th- those guys have just kept growing um i know ligand's just in a sophomore season technically but um, he is um really maturing and looking really good harmonson i you know i didn't think much of him when we first recruited him and he actually landed on the team but man i don't know where we'd be without him at this point he has really really carved out a nice um, spot on this team last thing is Rashad Wisdom. It's been, to me, really quiet this season. Mm-hmm. Um, hasn't had many... But looking back at how many snaps he's taken on defense, it really hasn't been that many. I, mean, I think he played just about all the defensive plays uh, against Illinois, but he only put up, like I think, about 34 plays against Middle Tennessee. It, it's interesting. However, I think I take that, giving him less plays and being this dominant for so long, mm-hmm. than making him play essentially a complete fourth quarter or four quarters in two games and you know saying we've got five more games that we have to play over the next five weeks and having seen him potentially wear down so uh, well I think part of it too is just we have more depth at safety it's not that he's not playing as well it's that you have more depth and so you don't see him quite as much you know when you see some of these other safeties making plays as well yeah, and when I say he's, he's just been quiet, it's just usually you have some big wisdom play. 
Yeah. Um, and he hasn't he hasn't had that play. Much and he like almost sincere. he <laughs> almost had it this game. Well, yeah, yeah. That penalty took it away. Otherwise, you know. I mean, he did have a big play where he he really smacked the kicker at the end of the game with the, on the onside. Oh but yeah. Oh, he did. At that point, I mean, it was it was near the end of the game. But you you look for those big plays from him mm-hmm. um, to really I think spark the defense during the game. Um, it just hasn't happened, and I, I think just because we have so many thumpers and some so many just big hitters. Um, and fast defenders. So I, I think it's kind of left him to actually play a true safety this time as opposed to having to come up with the big play every single down. Right. So what about special teams? I mean, we'll go over this real quick. Um, I mean, Dean had to work on his punts mostly in the second half. Um, but for the most part, you know, he was effective. I mean, I don't think there was anything you could really talk about uh, in terms of, oh, you know, he's really falling off. It's Yeah, I mean, special teams I think was just a little inconsistent this game um you know hunter had one more kick out of bounds we didn't see that last game you know he had the two missed field goals which you know you really don't expect from hunter one of them you know a little bit he had the the leg for it he was just off that first field goal that was like 54 yards yeah um you know you don't typically see him make attempts past the 50 yard line either but then again, you know, we had some really good punt returns from Sticks again. He was 5 for 68 yards. So, you know, there were kind of good and bad, nothing, you know, just that really stood out, I guess. You know, it was kind of okay. I think that was a tra- the words that Trailer used, too, in his, post, um, his post-game interview. He said, you know, special teams was okay. And throughout this whole discussion, I think you look at special teams being okay you look at the defense being incredibly dominant and the offense not really playing up to their level and you get that story of this is why they felt unsatisfied at the mm-hmm. end of the game. Um, and I'll say this, um, if I'm a defender, I would be scared, especially if I was one of the subs that kind of let some of those big plays happen because Charles Wiley looks like he's going to also yell at you. Not just coaches, I think he's going to yell at you um, at practice and to let you know you know, what were you thinking? You know, this, you know, you got to stay focused. You know, this is how we, this is how we get to the conference championship. This is how we, you know, win this many games. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the overall story that we saw was... It was good enough because it was better than what Middle Tennessee was. And it also gives you a hungry team. So right. um, let's fix those errors and move on. All right. So what did we learn from the game? Well, um, we still had some issues in the run game. Um, we kind of talked about a little bit during the recap. Um, it's just interesting to note here that last year the top two uh, rushers in the nation were Brees Hall and Cynthia McCormick. And both Iowa State and UTSA have had issues with their run game this year. Um, specifically, both both their top rushers, right? So with Brees and Sincere, last night um, Brees had, I think, 21 carries for like about 100 or so yards, 100, 101 yards. You know, Sincere had similar numbers. It's just interesting, though, that it just seems like they're both being really quiet. Mm-hmm. It's it's not, it hasn't seemed like the big runs from both of them. Um, they are getting, you know, some good charge, here. some good chunks of yardage here or there. But it's not like what it felt like last year when they were, I think, a little more dominating. Yeah, I think um, to totally change subjects, but, um, you know, one of the other things we learned from the game is that apparently the students will turn out if you feed them pizza. Because um, we did have a... a you know, about the same student turnout that we had last game, this game. So um, that was really kind of encouraging to see them. And obviously, um, you know, trailer feeding them 
helped and, and convinced them to come. And then, you know, whatever the bus issue was um, that they experienced last time, you know, UTSA fixed that by adding the shuttle. So, you know, hopefully we're going to continue to see um, our students show up the same way. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it was the pizza. I think there was, there's been genuine excitement, but I think it's fun to point out the pizza as a thing. Um, I will say this, you know, I, I've seen some fans, you know, kind of talk about, you know, okay, the students are here, you know, but where else is San Antonio? And uh, to that, I would just simply put it this way. Who cares if the if other San Antonians aren't showing up? Um, at this point, they're missing out on a great product because um, they're not even showing up to UIW either. So, you know, San Antonio, when we're talked about in terms of NFL circles, this is what what the NFL looks at. You won't show up to college games. You won't show up to, you know, anything else that's put on the field. So what makes them think that you're going to be able to support an NFL team? So just my two cents there. Um, yeah, and the other thing that um, we learned, well, actually that we didn't learn, but I think that others learned thanks to uh, <laughs> television and Twitter is um, – you know, they got to see what, what we've seen in terms of uh, Leroy Watson and his uh, his dance moves. Um, he had a nice little uh, move there when it, they made a first down. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can check out the Twitter accounts of Bootleg Bentley or um, Ansira, uh, April Ansira. Both of them uh, tweeted it out. So you can go check out uh, Leroy Watson and his, uh, his dance moves. <laughs> That's us for the game. It's fun. So, yeah, check him out. So let's talk players of the game. First, let's start with the bootleg honorable mention on the offensive side, and that's Oscar Cardenas. I'll wait to gush about Oscar a little bit later when we talk about the breakout players. Um, So let's go on to the players of the game. For me, it was Zakari Franklin and Josh Cephas. Um, Zakari had eight catches for 114 yards. Josh had eight catches for 84 yards. Both scored a touchdown. Total of 16 catches for 198 yards. Two touchdowns. 44% of the offensive total yards. Let me say that again. 44%. This duo last week against Lamar in limited duty had 10 catches for 128 yards, which was 30% of the total offensive yards. At Illinois, they had 16 catches for 228 yards, 46% of the total offensive yards. Look, Sincere has had a tough go of it, and it's just incredible that these two have really stepped up. Obviously, Frank is looking for both of them. Uh, we're getting plays in there for for each of them. In this game, they really, against a conference opponent, enforced themselves onto onto the field. So really, I, I think when people start looking at UTSA and they're trying to figure out, are they are they a product worth watching? San Antonio, you're missing out if you're not coming to see Zakari and Josh on the field on a weekly basis. With that, let's go to the defensive players of the game. Uh, honorable mention, I'm going the whole entire defensive line. So we knew the Middle Tennessee offensive line, like we talked about before, was just not very strong. The defensive line made them look like kids. I mean, it, it just, they were getting thrown around. Um, the defensive line was just really getting that push over and over. Hence why they had only given up 88 yards. Sure, it's a team game, it's a team concept, but the defensive line really enforced himself in the game, and that to me really um, was was a key for uh, for this defense. That said, a player of the game actually comes from the defensive line, and it's Tremaine Bell. Tremaine had an incredible game, eighty nine point seven PFF, which is essentially three tenths of a point away from being having an elite performance. He had two sacks, one forced fumble, and two quarterback hurries in eighteen snaps. So in that 18 snaps, 28% of the snaps he played, he had a defensive statistic come up. Two quarterback hurries, are you kidding me? Like, you know, he's not getting to the quarterback, but he's certainly pressuring him. Two sacks, a forced fumble, 
you know, Tremaine was all over the place. So lucky to have him. Uh, and just a great game from Tremaine this week. All right, so let's talk about the breakout players. Um, this is really, we've taken it on the chin this year. Um, let's just put it this way. Special teams, neither one of us put up any, any points whatsoever because it, there was no influence from either player. Um, on defense, um, Caden Holt didn't even play, and, or at least that I know. I think he's just going to be redshirted this year. So, again, a swing and miss there, as we've talked about the past few weeks. Um, Kalechi, there's just no way you give him a point because he was just abused in coverage again. Uh, like I said, he um, didn't seem to line up well um, and, and really put up the worst grade in the defense uh, in terms of PFF. So, Yeah, not a lot to say there. Um, with that, we go to the offense. Um, Ketra Cobbs, no influence. But here's where we talked about kind of gushing a little bit about Oscar Cardenas. He had the 79.9 PFF grade, which is second highest on the team, right behind uh, Tremaine Bell, who we just talked about, he really led that offense, uh, especially that great, he had some great run blocking, he had a great run blocking grade, which was actually about an 84.1, so high quality again, and then you're talking about, you know, getting those two receptions for 15 yards, to be honest, that one really caught, uh, there was a third down, or I think it was maybe a second down, um, and he caught sort of a screen pass, uh, he had somebody go and try to tackle him, the defender just kind of bounced off him. Uh, yep. But even on that Brady pass, he also drew a pass interference that was picked up. I I just don't understand it. I mean, he got smacked. So, again, um, I guess we weren't calling pass interference. So <laughs> Not consistently, anyways. No. Um, any other thoughts on Oscar? No, I mean, I, I think he did a great job. I mean, I'd you know, obviously like to see him utilized a little bit more in, in terms of reception, um, him and Leroy, but, you know, it just doesn't seem to be the, the direction they're going in terms of the play calling, but in terms of their pass blocking, I mean, he, or uh, run blocking, you know, he seems to be, you know, really doing everything that we expected that he would. And with that, I think I'll just give you two points for this because he played so well and got such a high score on this. Woo! So for the season, <laughs> you are up 5-1, to one, so hopefully... I don't know. Kendrick might show up. I don't know. Maybe Julon Williams gets thrown as a kick returner, and maybe they can get some big points here. But uh, I need him going into Memphis. Well, you know, when we get to UTEP and North Texas, I'm sure we'll see them again. All right, before we go, let's uh, talk a little bit about how the rest of Conference USA fared this week. Once again, it really wasn't a great week for Conference USA. Um, UTSA is now the only unbeaten team left in the conference. You know, if you look at a couple of the games, um, SMU had a Hail Mary pass right at the last minute to seal the win over La Tech. Um, just sort of a crazy pass. I mean, he threw it up. It just happened to get tipped and right landed right into the white uh, receiver's hands in the end zone. And, you know, one of those just really lucky games for SMU. Um, Marshall was up against East Carolina and then allowed 21 unanswered points and ended up losing the game. Um, and then you had, you know, Troy beating down S, um, Southern Miss. Um, I mean, offensively, they only had a field goal. They ended up with a defensive touchdown. So not really a great showing from Southern Miss there. Really, the bright spot was um, FAU beating up on a FCS Fordham. And then in conference play, um, UAB just really imposed their will on North Texas. So that was kind of a, a surprising, not that, not that it was a surprising loss for North Texas, but it was a surprisingly bad showing for North Texas. So, you know, kind of, uh, again, UTSA over Middle Tennessee really looks like um, one of the bright spots for Conference USA this week. Any thoughts? 
you know, Conference USA is starting to really play out like we thought. And in some cases, it looks a little worse than I thought. Um, Southern Miss, I didn't think was going to be this bad. But they're, they're not looking very good at all. Uh, UTEP is still bad. North Texas is looking even worse. Um, I, I just, you know, you don't want to look ahead. But who's going to challenge UTSA besides right. UAB? Right. Um, in, in the in the West, so. I mean, La Tech, the thing for me with La Tech is just they are so inconsistent in their performances this year that you're, I'm just not really sure what to make of them. I thought they would be better, um, but they've just kind of gone, you know, they back and forth. They played well against um, Mississippi State, then they barely beat an FCS team, and then, you know, struggled against SMU. Um, I don't know. I just don't really know what to make of them. I think they'll still be tough because it'll be eight games. It'll be our eighth straight game that we play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then we don't seem to play well in Ruston. So it'll be a game to watch. I think again, I think UAB is still going to be the toughest test. Sure. But La Tech certainly can can really put a damper on us. Um, so looking ahead to Memphis, um, what did you think about their game against um, Mississippi State? Anything that kind of made you change the way that you think about them? Not really. I mean, maybe they're doesn't seem as strong as they as I would have thought they'd be. But um, you know, I, I think there's going to be a really tough matchup. Um, I, I think it's going to be at least similar to the BYU game last year. Um, I don't think there's going to be that big of a disparity in terms of the talent. Um, but I think it, it's going to be a tough game, and and I think that's where we've talked about the offense really being able to show up. So for me, I think that our defense definitely will be able to travel, um, but we're going to have to find some way of getting. Um, as we talked about before with Frank, getting him in a rhythm with, with the receivers and with Sincere, hopefully getting him on track uh, in order for this offense to be able to move a little bit. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be a long day in Memphis if we can't get uh, get that offense going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us on the Hail Married podcast. I'm A. Toves. And I'm the Toves. We'll see you next week after our game against Memphis. Memphis. <laughs>